Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is an actor, a comedian, a mommy, a juggler, because she has now three children. Wow. And boys, not just three children, three boys. Her original, the before episode to this after episode was um, Informed Pregnancy Plus on a brand new series called Empowered Mama. And she shares over there the experience of having her first two children, both by cesarean birth. And she was very pregnant and planning for a vaginal birth after cesarean. Uh, we also did a stand-up comedy show together when she was 39 weeks and five days. And I still had the bigger belly. Selah, Victor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh I'm so goodness. excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And also congratulations on having your third thank boy. You. Yes, thank you. Someone told me recently, they're like, three boys, you might as well have five kids. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. It's a ton, a ton of energy. A ton of energy. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All right. So what happened was I was watching this brand new program online called Empowered Mama. And I happened to notice that you shared your experience having your first two boys by cesarean birth. My little recap would be the first one was ginormous. How big? Like 11 pounds? Basically 10, 15. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And then for the second one, you're planning a vaginal birth after cesarean, but then at your doctor's visit, the fluid was low. And then it's like, Oh, come on in. We'll just have another C-section. And... Yeah, that night, she was like, we have to get this baby out tonight because wow. the fluid was so low. Well, and what was crazy was I planned on a VBAC, but I hadn't done anything to plan. <laughs> it was the pandemic. I really didn't know what I didn't know. I just assumed I would have a VBAC, you know, and now I know a lot more. So that looking back was a huge mistake and I remedied it this one. <laughs> Yeah. as we'll get into <laughs> yeah and just for a little more context something that was interesting is that your first two both ended up in the NICU yes yeah so that was one of the motivating factors to try something different because even though obviously not every c-section baby ends up in the NICU I just thought it was really interesting and also the fact that there is a correlation between lung development and not going through the vaginal canal because going through the vaginal canal, their lungs get that practice where they, you know, go back and forth, back and forth until they're out. And they also just get all the fluid squeezed out of them. Exactly. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Like sponges or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And in both of them, my first two, they did not have all the fluid out. So they ended up in the NICU for five days and, as any NICU mom will tell you, it's just kind of miserable to be in the NICU and it's not fun, at least the way that the hospital I was at did it. So I just was very motivated not to have that same experience. Yeah. I can't imagine even in the best circumstances that NICU would be fun. Right. Uh, Yeah. And I only recently, by doing a couple of episodes with NICU moms, really started to get a deeper understanding of like, you're so freshly postpartum, like you just gave birth and all the learning curves and all the recoveries that are yes. happening at the same time and all the shifts that are happening on a mind, body and spirit level to just add on top of that, the stress of NICU and not going home with your baby. It, and not it, having the baby in your room, those if you're in the hospital, in the you hospital, know what I mean? Recovering very, right for several day yeah. recovery from the surgery. So it's still going to get bigger in my mind over time, but I got an extra sort of perception of the depth of what that must be like. And I could see why you would want to avoid it because you also said in Empowered Mama that you had a good recovery, like a better recovery than you thought from your first, at least. Uh, yes. It wasn't terrible. The first one, because I didn't have another kid to watch or lift right, yeah. or anything, you know? So I was like, oh yeah, this isn't so bad. Second one was a little worse for sure, but it still wasn't terrible. I have learned since, and even as as we get through this birth story, I have a very high tolerance for pain. Oh, I know that for sure. Yeah, on many levels. Before we jump (laughs) into this third birth, I want to just have an idea because I don't even know what was your plan for your first birth-wise. My plan for my first, it's so funny looking back because I remember the day my doctor said, you know, how heavy would you want to try to push out? 
And I looked at her without even hesitating. I literally said 12 pounds. Oh, wow. I didn't know. (laughs) I was totally ignorant and stupid in a way. But she looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What's a couple more extra? Because I knew 10 was big in my head. So I thought, what's two more extra? (laughs) So dumb. Well, I've never seen 12. And I've been to a lot of births. Actually, I've had you know, involvement in thousands of now birth journeys. And I don't think I've ever had a patient have a 12 pound baby. I mean, it's crazy. Supposedly my great grandmother had one, but I don't know if that was true. You know, it's like old folklore over the years getting passed down. But yeah, I do think I was in my head. Well, and even with my first, my water broke. And even then I never felt contractions. They rushed me like straight to a C-section because there was meconium in the water. Yeah. So I never got to feel labor or anything, but even after my water broke, I was like, I can do this. And I knew he was very big from going to an MFM and all that. Dr. Rad actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I usually don't put a lot of stock in the uh, prenatal weighings that they do since there's no fetal scale. But he's surprisingly accurate time and time again. I don't yeah. know. He almost got it to the ounce. Yeah, he was he's very, very accurate. detailed. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he has <laughs> yeah. a super machine or just a great sense of it, but he's usually right. So you knew yeah. you were having a fairly big baby. And then your water broke and there was meconium and they pulled you into a cesarean birth. But did you have sort of your mindset on one type of birth or another? I did. I was one of those who was just gung-ho, natural, no drugs, vaginal. My mom had eight babies without any drugs, all natural. So I'm like, I could do this. I've been a personal trainer in my 20s and early 30s before kids. And I've been, you know, a workout addict my whole life. So I'm like, I could do this. I'm strong, you know, and it was sort of the days before finding out Basically, I scheduled the C-section, ironically, for the day after my water broke. So I knew I was going to have a C-section because he was so big and I had come to terms with it and peace with it. But when my water broke, I did get a little excited, like, maybe this is going to happen, you know? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. It was hard. It's like emotional roller coaster. I think the difference with him, Ezra, my first, and the reason I felt, I still feel peace about that first one is... A, when he was pulled out of me, he was ginormous. Like I was like, I've never seen such a big newborn because he was just so chunky too, you know? He was my favorite though. I know. And his head was huge. Like I just was like, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know if dodged I could have done that. Yeah, maybe I dodged a bullet. <laughs> so that was like the piece I felt. And then the second part of it was that I got to be with him the first 12 hours of his life until they realized he needed to go to the NICU. So that was a huge difference between the first and the second. So I think the second, I don't know if you want me to go into that part of it, but. Well, oh, what was the second? What happened there? Well, it was just a very, um, I don't want to use the word traumatic flippantly, but in the C-section, there was a very emergent situation with the doctor raising her voice. A lot of people rushed in and everything. We didn't know what was happening. And it turns out, obviously, everything was fine, but he was rushed straight to the NICU for breathing. And I wasn't with him. I was in recovery alone, which is, you know, not ideal. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like there was a moment of near panic. Was that something she saw with the baby once you were open or? Yeah, basically, she said his head had moved and she didn't want to cut through the placenta to get to him. So she cut a bigger incision, but she needed you know, extra tools, which that's what she was yelling for. So it felt like something was very wrong. And, you know, hearing my husband's voice, everybody's voice around me, I just thought one of us is not going to make it out of life. Like it was really scary until I later found out what happened. But yeah, that happens sometimes with my contractors is once you cut into a wall, you don't know what you're going to (laughs) find. And it's true, actually. Yeah, Yeah. I'm proud of myself because usually my analogies are food based. Yeah, that was a good one, actually. <laughs> Very good. Spot. I uh, like it. <laughs> all right. So you had to, with a smile, not how you wanted, but exactly not your primary plan. But then for this third one, you really wanted to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. And as you said, you did more planning for it and a little more research. Let's take a little break. and we come back, we'll find out how you got ready for it and then how things went down. We'll be right back. Ha <laughs> ha 
I have an incredible offer for you for my friends at Needed. An astounding 95% of women aren't meeting their omega-3 needs. Omega-3 fatty acids, especially DHA and EPA, are crucial for both mother and baby. They support brain and eye health, maternal mood, immunity, and much more. But it can be hard to get enough omega-3 from diet alone, especially during pregnancy when many people are averse to eating fish. And if you've ever taken a fish oil pill, you know just how unpleasant that can be. That's why I'm excited to share that my friends at Needed have revolutionized the omega-3 supplement with two different options designed specifically for mamas. An omega-3 powder that blends into smoothies and a pill option that tastes like fresh citrusy bergamot. Both are sustainably sourced from vegan algae, not fish. Both are great options for nausea and sensitive prone mamas. Needed's Omega-3 powder is delivered in liposomes, nature's very cool way of protecting and delivering Omega-3 just like in breast milk. Needed's Omega-3 is clinically proven to be five times better absorbed than fish oil pills. The powder is mild tasting and it pairs great with Needed's prenatal multi-powder and collagen protein powder in a daily smoothie. If powder isn't your thing, Needed's got you covered with those Omega-3 plus capsules, which have a pleasant citrus flavor. Needed is sharing in awesome pre-order discount just for my listeners buy two get one free on either omega-3 option powder or capsules you can stock up on either one or try them both with this exclusive discount use code three berlin the number three berlin at this is needed.com put three omega-3s in your cart use the code number three berlin at this is needed.com buy two get one free Welcome back. We're talking to Sailor Victor. All right. So two babies down. Third one comes and I mean you have great reasons for wanting to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. But I know in large parts of the country it's very hard to find a doctor who will even support one vaginal birth after one cesarean. You're now at the point where you have vaginal birth you're trying for after two cesarean is that difficult even in sunny los angeles california like is there a large pool of providers no there is not it was very difficult and actually i should back up when i was recovering from my second son's birth in the hospital room i said to my husband i will not get pregnant again because i didn't think you know that i could ever i would have to have another c-section it was worse the recovery for that one was worse and of course the NICU blah 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 so I just was like, I'm not doing this again. We're done. We're done having kids. So my third was a complete surprise. Oh, uh, <laughs> Unplanned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a uh, oopsie. And so I found myself in a situation where. Is it TMI to ask how you oopsied? Well, okay. So basically <laughs> I was breastfeeding and then the cycle after I stopped breastfeeding is when we got pregnant. So there was that, but then there was also the fact that we did IVF with my first. My second was natural, so I should have known. But Uh (laughs) but I'm like, I'm 41. What are the odds? What are the odds? (laughs) I guess we know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Apparently, I'm fertile myrtle now. So my husband's like. Okay. Wait, so you didn't have a period after you breastfed before this pregnancy? I did, Dr. Berlin. No, I had many. I think I had about a year's worth. I should have known. Oh, here's the crazy thing, though. I did track my ovulation cycle, you know, every month just in case to make sure we weren't. And I was not supposed to be ovulating that day. So something was ordained from above because it was very odd. And oh, and that actually has that little tidbit has to do with later. I can tell you more about this. But the first OP I had had changed my due date, basically, because he thought the baby was measuring bigger. Mm. And the final OB I landed with, he said, no, it's based on your cycle. We're sticking to this due date. Oh, so, there's an OB switch. This is getting exciting. Oh, yes. It's very, very suspenseful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, yes. so not a large pool, yet you have two so far. That yeah, that's true. Up. Yeah, so, tell me what that process was like, finding Basically, support. well, and this was what was crazy. When I first found out I was pregnant with this surprise miracle baby, I called my old OB who did the first two C-sections because I thought, well, I, I, I don't know. This is what you do. Right. And when her office told me she was not delivering anymore and I got chills, like I literally got chills thinking, oh, maybe I don't have to have another C-section. Cause I knew she would have me do another C-section. 
So I just thought maybe there's another way. Maybe I could explore actually getting a vaginal birth. And I knew from hearing one of my really good friends who had just had a VBAC and also listening after one. Yes, sure. Hers was after one, but hearing her story and listening to vaginal birth stories on your podcast and on other podcasts, every time I would listen to one, I would cry. Like I would literally cry and just, I don't know. I just knew deep down that this is what I truly, truly wanted. And my friend, Laura led me into um, different, like, first of all, she said, you have to go to Dr. Berlin every week. Like, I think I was really early at that point. I'm like, can I schedule every week? You're like, mm-hmm. you don't really need to come in every week. <laughs> but, Happy to see you, but. Yes. Yeah. We could spread it out a little at first, but yeah. So I was listening to her advice and started listening to your podcast, to the VBAC link to everything that was like VBAC related coming in to see you interviewing doctors. I mean, I just went gung ho full force into this and doing research. Statistics really comfort me. Maybe that's illogical, but just knowing what the facts and the evidence are and finding out that actually after one C-section, it's usually 1% chance of rupture, which by the way, if you didn't know, that's the biggest risk, uterine rupture for VBAC. And once you increase the C-sections, it goes a little bit higher. But for me, i never felt like it was a huge risk personally. But anyway, I digress. Um, so I started interviewing doctors and the first three were like, absolutely not. We will not do a vaginal birth after two C-sections. And then a couple were what I call now VBAC tolerant, mm. but not VBAC supportive. That's a good phrase. Yeah, they were, you know, like, you can do it if this, 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 this. And has to be on the third day of a lunar month, and Mercury has to be a little bit in retrograde. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. So then I landed on two doctors that were, I should say, one was seemingly supportive. He ended up being VBAC tolerant category, and the other was totally supportive. And I actually went with the first, the one that seemed supportive, but later was tolerant. And what I mean by that is in our first appointment, he, and I really liked this doctor. He seems like a great doctor, but he did have a list of protocols and demands, so to speak, that I had to meet. And one of those was meeting with his MFM, only his, by the way, no other second opinion, nothing. So I went to these specialist appointments with the MFM. And at the 20 week scan, he found that my uterine wall had one centimeter that was less than three millimeters thick, according to his ultrasound. And he said he was not comfortable with that and to come back at 30 weeks and we'll reevaluate. But if it was worse, he would not recommend a VBAC. And whatever this MFM recommended is what that OB would do. No ifs, ands, and buts. I see. So, well, okay. So, just to for anyone listening that might not know, you did mention the primary risk of doing a vaginal birth after having had a cesarean birth is that there is a scar in the uterus from cutting it open to take the baby out and it heals but it's not as it was and that scarring can be thin and may separate may pull apart and open up during birth during the intensity of labor so I don't even know, because you said you're a data person. I know that they measure, you know, sometimes some doctors measure, Mm -hmm. some don't. But do we have good data on? So, no, we do not. That is a good question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, because most women don't even get these tests done. Most VBAC patients don't go and get their uterine wall measured for thickness. So, first of all, there's a lack of data there. And then secondly... The way they measure it learned is not extremely accurate and it doesn't necessarily correlate to uterine rupture. And many doctors, including another specialist I saw who has been on your podcast and my OB that I ended up with, do not think that there is any correlation actually to the data that exists. Oh, I got you. So... Oh, is that Dr. Shavira? Yeah. So okay. Dr. Shavira, yeah. I went for a second opinion. Right. Him. Well, he, he's yeah. a pure data guy when he gives you, unless you ask for opinion, he's just giving yeah. you the facts. Right. So I wondered, that would be my go-to person anyway, to be like, hey, Dr. Shavira, is there accuracy here? 
Okay, so basically from 20 weeks on then, you're sort of at the mercy of that maternal fetal medical specialist. Exactly. And never mind the fact that this OB said I had to labor and deliver within 24 hours. I couldn't go past 40 weeks. All of these things at my first appointment, I didn't know were pretty strict protocols that a lot of women would not ever meet, you know? So as it turns out, I did not meet when you hear what happened. Are those their <laughs> protocols in general for a VBAC or more specifically for a VBAC after two? I think it was more for the VBAC after two, but that's a good question. I don't know for sure with him what his lines would be with a one cesarean. At what point did you switch? So after that 30 week, I probably should have switched before that because I knew at the 30 week, he was going to say it's even thinner. I mean, the uterine, the uterine wall gets thinner as you get more pregnant. So I knew that was going to be the case, but I just stayed with him. I don't know. I really liked him personality wise. And I wasn't crazy about the OBI I ended up with. And you and my doula, Joanna, both said, listen, you really need to give this other OB. Do you want me to name names? Uh, it's totally fine. He's been on okay. the podcast too before. I thought so. Okay. Dr. Brock, when I first met him, for whatever reason, I just didn't gel with him. And I just thought, no, he's not for me. He's not for me. And then you were so great about encouraging me to go meet with him again. Joanna felt the same way because both of you said he is so successful with what you want to do. Like he's the Michael Jordan of <laughs> VBAC, you know? Yeah, they call him a VBAC king. And I almost seem like a specialist. Like even if you love your OB, but VBAC is extremely important to you. And like you said, your doctor might be VBAC tolerant and maybe you're not sure. You know, it's almost like going to a specialist. Like if you go to a general doctor, but then something comes up yeah. and it's more heart related, then you go see a cardiologist as a specialist. He's a VBACologist in my book. That is such a good way to say it. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to see him to re-interview him, I guess, I thought I saw him in a completely different light. And I'm like, I don't have to be best friends with him. Like, I just want someone who knows what they're doing and is very knowledgeable. And for whatever reason, I actually ended up feeling like he was like a friend because oh. I got him. I got what he did. I got him and I felt completely safe with him, completely relaxed with him, his so demeanor. Important. It's so important. And he put all the fear out of my mind. He was just amazing, like in every sense of the word and really came through for me at those last 10 weeks and the birth, which I'll get into. But did he have his own set of guidelines, restrictions? So a little bit. He didn't have deadlines with like your due date, your whatever, which was great. He reminded me more of a midwife in a lot of ways. So basically he did like the vaginal ultrasound one or two in the beginning, and then would do the abdominal ultrasound to check the health of the baby. In fact, there was a couple of times where he said, cause I would get worried and I'd say, do you think he's really big? And he said, well, what do you think? It's usually the mother's instinct after oh, the wow. first baby. Yeah. So I felt very safe and very confident. So then my due date situation came and that was when that, last MFM with my last OB had put it at a week before because he said the baby was measuring a week before. And thank God, Dr. Brock based it off my cycle because what ended up happening was at my 40 week appointment, I should say what I thought was my 40 week appointment. <laughs> he said, no, you're not due for another week. And I'm like, oh, thank God, because uh, there were no signs of anything, you know, right. so I had dilated. Most importantly, afforded us the opportunity to do one more stand-up comedy show about having kids. I mean, come on. Yeah, that was a perfect opportunity. <laughs> I was a hit with that big belly. Oh, my I could goodness. do no wrong. <laughs> the crowd did go down just from the moment you walked out. Literally. They're like, what is she doing here? It was awesome. Oh, so thank you, <laughs> Dr. Brock, for bringing us a little more time. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And, of course, bringing me more time for labor because oh, a lot too. of doctors right that too that's small <laughs> detail <laughs> but he's because, also not yeah. i mean whatever the due date is whatever 40 weeks actually is it's not a cutoff point for him no it's not i think he would have let me go even to 42 you know like his whole thing oh when you asked about what were his standards or protocols 
he wanted the baby to be in a good position. He wanted me to be monitored the entire labor. And he wanted me to put a catheter in for an epidural just in case I needed to be rushed to C-section. I mean, then I wouldn't have to go under general anesthesia. And those were his three things. Um, the catheter meaning, I, right. So you're not having to put any drugs in there if you don't want to. Exactly. Because he knew I wanted a drug-free birth. But he was like, we just need this just in case you were to go to the C-section, which I actually really didn't want that. And I didn't want the monitoring. So I gave in to those two things because he was so awesome and supportive. But I, in the end, was right about those two things. And I'll tell you why more. <laughs> oh, this is a perfect but, time uh, to take a little break. And then when we come back, find out about how this birth happened. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. We are talking to Sailor Victor. And the time is now. You waited a very long time for this birth. <laughs> and now we've waited a long time. How did things get started? <laughs> Yeah. So basically we went out to dinner. So you're out to dinner. So we're out to dinner. And this is just a side note. I was all dolled up for dinner. So Aww. that night, yes. And I had like a, you know, makeup, hair done, whatever. So that night when I lost what I think now was my mucus plug, it was very little amount of like sticky discharge <laughs> and a little bloody show. But when that happened, it was like about 10 p.m., I thought, oh, I bet I'm going to go into labor. I'm keeping my hair and makeup on. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a lot of people commented that on that in my pictures. I'm like, yep, I was all dolled up. Oh, it's just yeah, how I always so looked. Yeah, I woke up like this. Uh, but yeah, so that happened. And I got so excited because at this point, I'm 40 weeks and four days. And everyone thought my due date was the week before. So to everyone else, I'm 41 weeks four days. So it's like, when is this happening? And I wasn't actually anxious because Dr. Brock was so reassuring. And also because I started a renovation of my home at 30 weeks. So I had a lot to do. No, yes. So, you were juggling so many things. I was very busy. So many things. So um, I was not anxious about when it would start, but when it did, I was of course excited also because I had never experienced labor. So this was exciting. I immediately text my mom, get ready to come watch the two older boys. You know, this is happening. And I texted my doula, Joanna, and she's like, okay, just go to bed. It could happen any minute or it could be days still. So just get some rest. I'm like, okay. So I go to bed, 2 a.m. I wake up and the pad I was wearing was soaked. My pants were wet. I thought, I think my water broke, but it wasn't so much water where with my first son, there was like a gush. So I wasn't totally sure, and neither was Joanna. She thought maybe it was still a little mucus block. So we didn't count that, so to speak, as my water breaking, <laughs> partly on purpose, because we wanted to keep the clock stopped, you know, with labor. But sure enough, around 2 a.m., my contraction started. Oh, wow. And yes, it was so exciting. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm like the only person on this planet that would be excited. So <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is amazing. But they weren't very intense. They felt like period cramps, like it wasn't that bad. And they were every eight to 10 minutes or so. So they were pretty far apart. Joanna said, just go to sleep, try to rest. But I could not. I was just because so of the sheer excitement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not because of the intensity. No, I was just like, this is happening. Like, this is amazing. I, I can't believe it. And then they started getting closer and closer. And it was like every four minutes, one minute long, 411, whatever that is, right? And it was an hour of that. And they were definitely getting more intense. Not at all what they were in the end, which I now know, which is hilarious because I look back, I'm like, oh, that was nothing. Like, <laughs> I should have stayed home longer, actually. But that was towards like, 4am and Joanna said, jump in the shower, try to just relax, try to rest more if you can. And then they kept coming close. They were about two to three minutes apart at that point. Oh, and wow, I started getting moved in quick. Oh yeah. I started getting a little worried because I thought maybe I do have a high pain tolerance. Maybe I'm just not feeling them really hard and this is going to happen. I've had several friends have accidental home births. Like this is crazy. This is kind of getting worrisome now. 
So Joanna came around five and we tried to labor at home till about 10 ish. And then it just got where with two other kids, I couldn't concentrate. It was nerve wracking, you know, thinking what's happening. (laughs) So I tried to eat a little bit. I couldn't really do that. So we just left for the hospital around 11. Oh, we called Dr. Brock and he was like, come in, your water broke, you know, explained what happened. We didn't know if it broke, but he thought it did. So he said, come into the hospital. And, oh, that was another one of his protocols actually for VBAC. He did not want me to labor at home super, super long because of the risk of rupture. Yeah, so in a way- it's pretty atypical for him, even with the VBAC. I think it's because of the VBAC after too. Yes, I think you're right. I think that was it. And mm-hmm. I, I was okay with that. I mean- Looking back, I wish I would have stayed home a little longer because when I got there, they checked me and I was at a one. Oh, okay. I know. And it was really demoralizing. Oh, I'm <laughs> like, sorry. Oh. Yeah. Like at that point, it had been 10 hours, 11 hours. And I'm like, really? A but one? still early, yeah. you know, still early. I know. In your well, that's, I know that now, but at the time I was like, Oh, I thought it was so intense. Like I thought I was, you know, I would have been Mm. at least a three or something. Actually, Joanna said at that point, because I should mention she is a licensed midwife as well. And she has been to, I don't know, something like 2,500 births. And she said what she has noticed a lot of times is the resident doctors or nurses will oftentimes underestimate how far along you are because, and it's also very subjective too, depending on how you check someone, right? So it could be subjective, but it also could be not deliberately underestimating, but going for the lower number of what you find because they don't want the doctor to come and be like, oh, I thought she was further along. You know what I mean? So yeah, for them, a lot of times it's a timing game. Uh, Yes. The doctor doesn't want to be there too early and they don't want to stay too late. Depends on the system you're in, but with the private care where your specific doctor comes in to catch your baby and then wants to get out of there. As soon as possible, the timing's tricky if they have to, you know, if they come in and have to wait a few hours and really mess up their day. Exactly. So So that's why they tend to a little bit underestimate or go with the lower number. So Joanna was like, I think you're actually a little bit further along. And that was really helpful to have her as a doula and have that support there in general. She really, really helped. She stayed well, I can get into that later, but she was really, really helpful. I highly recommend getting a doula, especially if you're trying for a VBAC. Like that is a must have. <laughs> yeah. So we just kept laboring. She would, Joanna would have me do different positions, try to get whatever position was making the contractions come harder. And then I should say there was a few interesting things that happened in that early labor. First of all, I had a very specific prayer list. (laughs) So I had like very specific things I was praying about that I wanted to go right in the birth. And interestingly enough, every single one happened except for one, which I'll get to later. Okay. So one of the things was I wanted to go into labor naturally without induction, Pitocin or whatever, which most OBs won't even let a VBAC have Pitocin. But my doctor was open to it, which turned out to be a good thing. So this is why I went into this is what happened about 24 hours in where my contractions started to really get far apart, like seven to 10 minutes, which was crazy, right? Like just really slow down. And at that point, I think I was a six. And so Dr. Brock was like, we got to start Pitocin. We got to get these contractions harder. It's been 24 hours. As like an augmentation. Yeah. And at first I was like, well, I didn't want this, you know, but then it turns out I was grateful for it because it helped the contractions. But here's the crazy thing. It did not make them harder or more painful. Like that was the one part of the prayer is that I didn't want Pitocin because I thought it would make the contractions more painful and cause rupture. I didn't feel any difference at all. Like it was crazy. It was insane. (laughs) I know. It did not feel different. So felt the same to you, but they became closer together and more productive? They did slightly. They were still about five to six minutes apart. It was really strange. But this also was a blessing because we figured out the best position was sideline with the peanut ball in between my knees. And in between these long contraction rest periods, I would literally fall asleep, like take a cat nap. Oh, wow. 
unmedicated. Unmedicated. And all the nurses were like, we have never seen someone literally snore. Ah, That's what happens when you already have two boys. It's just going to say that because I'm exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I need a nap. And it was sort of a blessing because I could rest in between. And so what turned out to be a 48 hour labor, <gasps> actually, I know, did not feel like that. And at the same time, I had another thing that I was doing during contractions, which a lot of the nurses sort of started to comment on because they thought it was very, I guess, odd. But I was thanking God through the contractions. Like I was in a place of gratitude because. I it like makes me tear up now thinking about it because I was so happy to be there. Like I could not believe that I was feeling this, you know, something I didn't think I'd ever feel. And um, I sort of felt like that after I got pregnant naturally with my second and my third. Like I never complained during pregnancy with any of them because I couldn't get pregnant for four years with my first. And so it was a very similar situation where I was like, I cannot complain through this. This is so awesome that I get to feel this. And yeah, it doesn't feel great, but it didn't hurt in a way that I thought it would. It felt like hard work, you know? Mm. So it was something that I was like very much in gratitude with. So it's just a different paradigm, you know? Yeah. When you wanted something so bad and worked, fought for it, and nobody thought you could do it, and people were really worried about you or questioned you or whatever for so long that Uh it was like, yeah, I'm super happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I wonder yeah. just in general about the nurses, because just because Dr. Brock has a comfort with vaginal birth after two cesarean, were the nurses nervous at all? Okay, so this was on my prayer list as well, that I would get supportive nurses that you know were on my team. And it was very interesting. The first nurse we got, I wouldn't say she was anti, but she was very intense. And thank God her shift ended pretty quickly within, because <laughs> I was like, this nurse is, and she was really pushing me for that catheter to get, which I'll get to that. But I sort of was trying to push it off as long as possible because I knew I didn't want an epidural. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, I don't want that. I don't want a catheter put in me, blah, 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 in my spine. So anyway, she was really pressuring me, really pressuring me. The second nurse was less so, and she was more chill, so to speak. She was great. I mean, there was nothing to complain about, but the third nurse was like a cheerleader and it got to a point around hour 42, something like that, where there was this one resident doctor who just kept checking me and I just kept staying the same. And it was like 12 hours. I was still at an eight or something. And at this point, I'm sort of skipping around. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I just realized sure. I skipped like a huge chunk, but basically at hour 45, it was like 5 p.m. on Monday. And I started in my little nap breaks, having these involuntary urges to push and all kinds of stuff was coming out of my body. So I just thought, oh my gosh, like I must be complete. Like I am pushing, you know, and everyone in the room thought she's ready. She's complete. And this resident doctor was like, nope, you're still at eight. And Everyone was frustrated, even that cheerleader nurse and the doula and me and Tony, my husband. Anyway, so after the resident doctor left, I started crying. That was the first time I really just looked at everyone. I was like, I don't know. Can I do this? Like we're at hour 45 here. This is crazy. I have no pain meds. I don't know how much longer I can do this, you know? And that nurse was like, you are doing this. She's like, you got this. I see you in prayer and gratitude. I see you. Aww. I know you're going to do it. I know she was like, I'm praying with you. I'm thanking God with you and you're not giving up now. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so she was awesome. Shamika. I loved her. And that was awesome. And actually side story about the resident doctor. This was very interesting. And I think helpful for anyone trying to do this. Um, there's something called the intrauterine catheter. Do you know what I'm talking about? IUPC. Thank you. IUPC. Pressure and catheter. They, intrauterine pressure, yes. pressure catheter. Yeah. Yes. So they wanted to put that in and there is like a very small chance of puncture, uterine puncture. And she just kept pushing me, pushing me, pushing me to get this thing in. And I said, no, I don't want that. Like, this is not helping me labor more. This is not, this is for your data. The monitor that they had me on kept falling. So that's why they wanted it to get better monitor of the contractions. And so I just kept refusing. And Joanna pointed out, and again, 
this is nothing against medical. I love my doctors, nurses, and I love the medical society, whatever. <laughs> this is just interesting how they will use something that has a small chance of something really bad happening, like a uterine puncture, but they want that for their own good, right? Like it's conveniently okay for them to use that, but not other things. Well, Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, yes and no. I mean, ultimately, everything that they're wanting to do is for your good, but it's a measure that makes them more comfortable. Whereas, yes, I think maybe what I'm hearing, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe what I'm hearing you say is that there's certain obstetric risks that they're willing to take and other obstetric risks that may be very parallel and similar in terms of the amount of risk that they're not willing to take or not comfortable taking, and it seems somewhat arbitrary. That's right. Um, Much better articulated than I did. Well, no, but I mean, I don't have the emotional piece. Like when you want something and you're the one who's going to be going through it and you're the one who's going to have the risk and or the benefit, it seems like you would be the most important voice, especially if you're coming from a place of having done some research. Right, Uh, and at that point... I didn't want one more wire in me that I had because they had the monitor. I was on wireless monitoring, but it wasn't picking up the signal. So then I I was on wired monitoring, which was not ideal because you can't really walk far and it's in the way and they kept having to change the position of it. So it's very distracting. I would also say you're way outside of the comfort zone of most I know. hospital birth workers. It's true. And on so many different levels. It's not just a <laughs> vaginal birth, but it's a vaginal birth after two cesarean. You're after 40 weeks. You're unmedicated. Labor has been going on more than 24 hours. Uh, you <laughs> I know. know. So in many true. levels, this is all they're, true. they're outside their comfort zone. You're so uh, right. Yeah, like Dr. Brock is, you know, a cowboy in that regard. Like he doesn't worry, but you're absolutely right. The rest of the medical staff was, yeah, they wanted to make sure. And I get it. And that's why, of course, I consented to the monitoring. I want to make sure the baby's okay. Absolutely. Like that was fine. I wished it could have been wireless, but that was why, all that to say, that was why I did not want the IUPC. I just did not want Mm -hmm. one more thing connected. The other reason I did not want that is going back to the catheter. For whatever reason, I ended up consenting to the catheter because Dr. Brock was like, listen, it's Murphy's Law. If you don't put it on, you're going to need it. If you do, you're not going to need it. Just wear your seatbelt. Persuasive argument. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I am trusting everything he's saying. He is awesome. He has not failed me. He's giving me, like you said, so much time, so much leeway. I'm just going to trust him. So they placed the catheter. And for whatever reason, Dr. Berlin... I don't know, it must have pinched a nerve, something. Oh, no. That Yes, it was the only pain I felt. I mean, true pain, like excruciating. I threw up three times. Oh, wow. It was insane. Yeah, so that was a bummer because obviously I was trying not to get it, but I knew it was important to him. And I just was like, this hurts so bad. And I think it was also where Ari was at the time, where he had dropped, because later in the labor, the pain just went away all of a sudden. So I don't know. It was really or strange. You self-medicated. Yeah. You make your own <laughs> cocktail of very powerful drugs yes. that have a way to help you. So how did you yeah. get past eight centimeters? So then after that resident went out, after the tears and Shamika cheerleading me, Joanna said, I really actually think you're complete. I think this is an example of them underestimating. You are pushing involuntarily. Dr. Brock said, he's going to come check you in three hours. Let's just keep doing what we're doing and laboring, you know? So I said, okay, sure enough, Dr. Brock comes three hours later and he says, you're complete. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like, thank God. Oh, by the way, I was a hundred percent effaced pretty much almost the entire time. I was like, started at 90 or something. So that was good. Yeah. Um, Baby was moving down. Yeah. So there was progress and that was encouraging. So then he says, you know, you're ready to push. And Joanna had warned me ahead of time. She's like, pushing on your back, it's a really bad rap. But she said, in my experience, I found that is the best position to push. So she said, he's going to put you on your back. And I agree with it. Like I support it. So he did. And Joanna was on one side. Tony was on the other. They're each pushing a knee into my chest. And Dr. Brock put these like bars next to me to pull, you know? Mm-hmm. And I asked for a mirror so I could see my progress uh-huh. and like 
get motivated, I guess. And um, Dr. Bach was like the best coach. Like you've seen him, right? It's, yeah, I've been to birth as a doula with him. Oh my gosh. I had been to a birth with him from my friend, Jen. Oh, right, before, right, you know, right. right. But I didn't remember this. He was like, pull your arms back, push your leg. Like he was like a track coach. And oh, I yeah. respond to that because I was an athlete, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, what yeah. A, what a match on the level I wasn't anticipating. It was awesome. The nurses were like, whoa, she's really pushing. And everyone was like, I've never seen someone push that well. But then this baby was so big. It was like three hours later. And Dr. Brock was like, Sayla, you have one inch to go. You're so close, but it's been three hours and you've labored for, you know, 46, 47, whatever. And he goes, we have to use the vacuum. We got to get this baby out. Everything's fine. His heart rate stayed great. Everything was great. But he's like, you're going to, you're going to wear out. We got to use the vacuum. And I'm like, whatever, just get it out. (laughs) I don't care. And again, this is why Dr. Brock is awesome because I have heard, I don't know how true this is. I've heard a lot of OBs will not use a vacuum now because of the 1% risk of cranial damage. But he was willing to do whatever it took to get him out. Um, I've heard that some OBs would have rushed me to a C-section at that point. Obviously, would have been devastating. Yeah, <laughs> what a bummer. Oh, um, my God. Can you imagine? So he says, but listen, the vacuum is very intense. You're going to need a little what he called push epidural mm-hmm. in your catheter, in the catheter. And so, again, at that point, there was no fight left in me. I'm like, whatever, put it in. And Joanna looks at me like, are you sure? You said you didn't want it. I'm like, I don't care. Um, I don't need to be a hero. So just get this baby out. So this is what's crazy. So again, like on my prayer list, there was like no pain meds, right? So in comes the anesthesiologist and she's about to put the syringe in and she goes, there's a small crack on the cap of the catheter. And Dr. Brock's like, what? She's like, there's a small crack. I can't put the syringe in. It goes against sanitation protocols. There could be bacteria in there. It's too late to put in a new catheter. She's pushing, she's writhing, you know, whatever. We can't do it. And he's like, put the syringe in. It's fine. I'm sure it's fine. And she's like, I won't do it. And she left. And, oh, wow. And I know. So Joanna looks at me. She's like, you got your prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, yes. I know. It was awesome. And so then Dr. Brock's like, okay, you're going to feel this. Like, I'm going to push on your stomach, on your uterus. And then I'm going to pull with the vacuum. Like, okay. So he does it. And again, it was an insane feeling. But it actually kind of felt like the C-section when they do that, when they push. Oh, that pressure. Yeah, that pressure. So I didn't feel like it hurt so bad. Okay, so they vacuum him out. And as you can see, I'll hold up his head is perfect, like literally Aww. perfect. No cranial. <laughs> I know. That was awesome. And it was just awesome. He was on me within seconds. He was latching. I was crying. My husband's crying. It was just like amazing i could not believe that we did it like we did it and i will say too i oh this was the prayer that wasn't answered is that i didn't want to tear but he was nine pounds five ounces i feel like god was like yeah good wish there (laughs) (laughs) well also the vacuum generally some tearing with the vacuum there's a little tear it wasn't bad he said it was second degree i didn't feel much pain when he was stitching me up it just felt like pinches whatever but yeah he was a huge baby and everybody was like in the room dr brock because I, I one of the first things i said was he's huge and dr brock says he looks huge because he is huge <laughs> <laughs> i know oh, yes, i know it was crazy and i mean it was such a great thing so, with my husband too and everything the whole time i mean him was so supportive so it was just like magical magical bonding between us between like our baby, you know, everything. It was amazing. So no NICU. Oh yeah. So that was the other little cherry on top. No NICU at all. He was Mm. in our room the whole time, totally perfectly healthy, perfect breastfeeding. Everything was amazing. Mm. We got to go home in 24 hours. Unreal. You know, I had no I could really say is who's your chiropractor. I know. (laughs) Okay. Seriously though, that did help because Joanna said, if I had not been going to you that, I mean, literally, I am not exaggerating. I think I went 
probably more than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the like, end, we really started to, we did a lot of visits, but you could feel the progression. You could feel your body getting looser, yeah. more open, more relaxed, more functional. Um, yes. I need to do a commercial for you because she literally was like, <laughs> in the end, she said, she was like, if you hadn't been going to all this cart, because the way they were pushing my knees in was just crazy. Like it was like my whole body was open. <laughs> so I really do credit you for that. Uh, well, I couldn't have done it without you is yeah. uh, what I generally say. Sayla, thank true. you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. For sharing your beautiful story. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, like, no matter what comes your way, you, you not only have seemingly a high pain tolerance physically, but also I would say emotionally, like you wanted certain things in your births and when they took a different turn, still always a smile from you and a gratitude for the healthy baby. And yeah. and then, you know, on this one, just what a journey to find the support and to change horses mid-battle, so to speak. Yeah, and, so true. Um, well, thank you to you too and Joanna for really encouraging me to not be afraid to switch and to relook at Dr. Brock, for example. That was huge. He was so incredible that if it weren't for you guys really encouraging me to go back and look at that again, I think I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I probably would have had an if I stayed with that other OB, another C section, you know. But ultimately so. that mind, body, spirit strength and power to see what you want know that you can do it and pursue it and do it you know literally against all odds uh Thank congratulations you. to you Thank you're also you. a super funny actor and comedian i don't want to let that <laughs> slide by so as we wind down tell us where we can find you online oh yes at sayla victor on all the socials tiktok facebook instagram I'm like, what else is there? I'm not really on Twitter as much anymore. But mm. anyway, yeah, at Sayla Victor. And Sayla Victor. Yeah. Um, hopefully and I'll be in a show soon with you. Yeah. Oh, that'll be amazing. That'll be amazing. And then also that first birth, uh, our before episode, as we mentioned before, is on Informed Pregnancy Plus on a series called Empowered Mama. And it has like pictures and video. You really bring the whole thing to life. It's very cool. Yay. Oh, good. That's awesome. And and then uh, for our listeners, everything we do can be found at informedpregnancy.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot.